0: Hi there and welcome to Tending the Threshold, an eight-part podcast mini-series. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola. These special edition episodes of the Numinous Podcast feature conversations with my fellow presenters at the Tending the Threshold Conference, an event happening in Ashland, Oregon on May 26th and 27th, 2018. This extraordinary event is a gathering of change-makers, bridge-builders, and edge-dwellers. It's about relationship, ritual, and revolution. It's an experience of radical togetherness, disruptive social change, and emergent creativity. There will be art, beauty, play, grief, gratitude, conflict, intimacy, and community. In other words, this is not the patriarchy's conventional conference. The container at this unconference will be held by a group of 10 co facilitators from three countries and many walks of life. The group includes poet and spoken word artist Tanur Ali, conflict engagement and resolution practitioner Aftab Erfan, equity and inclusion consultant Desiree Adaway. Clinical psychologist and author Bioakoma Lafay, social entrepreneur Donnie McClurkin, artist and death doula Rachel Rice, educator, facilitator, and Indigenous rights activist Erin Ortega, videographer and artist Beck Stupak, therapist, ritualist, and conference founder Holly Truler and myself, Carmen Spaniola. For new listeners, allow me to just briefly introduce myself. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist, a somatic trauma resolution practitioner, and a wilderness guide. As of spring 2018, this show, The Numinous Podcast, has been around for four years and over 100 episodes, and occasionally I'll do a mini series focusing on a singular topic, Throughout this mini-series, I'll be hosting conversations with my co-facilitators, exploring the threshold upon which we find ourselves as humans living in these challenging times. I'm asking each guest how they see the threshold and why they feel drawn to gather with others in Ashland to tend the threshold. Desiree Attaway is a principal of the Attaway Group, a minority and woman-owned consulting firm that works on projects related to racial equity and social justice. With over 20 years' experience in over 40 countries, she is uniquely qualified to partner with leaders to successfully navigate through integrations, reorganizations, and all stages of evolution. She works from an intersectional perspective, which believes that organizations thrive when they build cultures that are inclusive of wide-ranging ethnic, racial, gender, sexual, religious, and national identities and abilities. I connected with Desiree online. She was in North Carolina. So, oh, Desiree, the event that we are co-facilitating is called Tending the Threshold, and I'm wondering if you could describe in your own words how you see the threshold upon which we stand as humans living in these times. Well, I,
1: you know, I, I see the threshold of um, this intersection of, of race And this real kind of the struggle with what actually what whiteness is um, that's happening currently for folks. And I think that while the election of 2016 may have kind of incited some folks, it was always there. So we're becoming browner and younger. Humanity is becoming browner and younger. Um, And so all of these old systems and institutions are really struggling with what does it mean to become irrelevant and um, to, to slide into the background, right? So humanity, we know, we have this thing, we're born, we mature and we have a choice at this one point that says we evolve or we die. And whiteness, that tool of whiteness, is at the point, is at the threshold of what does it become next? How does it stay alive in its current shape? Do we need to reimagine what whiteness is? how will it function in a new world and system and or will it die off and i actually don't think white supremacy will let it die off i think the evolution of whiteness will make it become even more deadly and more potent um and it will not shrink but it will think about ways that whiteness evolves so that other folks are let in so at other points in history when whiteness was threatened what it did was it allowed other people uh to become white Mm. right so at some point it allowed greek folks to be considered white and uh, irish and italian folks to be considered white because it it won't just shrink. It will do whatever is necessary um, for it to to stay alive.
0: Hmm. I I have to be honest with you. I have to like feel my feet and my seat because when you said I don't think it will die, I f- I felt a surge of nausea. Like just like you know, like you kind of know something, or you. S- you have that ominous feeling of knowledge and you articulating it is a very foreboding feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so- you know, it's, it, it's, um, throughout history,
1: it has evolved. Um, but it has never not been this tool used for supremacy. Hmm.
0: I think this is a good time to educate people who are not familiar with your work. Could you Could you describe your work in diversity, equity, and inclusion? Sure. I
1: am a I'm a consultant. I'm a facilitator. I'm a trainer. I'm a teacher. I'm a community member. I'm an activist, and I use activist last because I am not a in the street activist. I'm someone who supports activists as they do direct action and do work in the streets. But um. I, I am one that hates the word diversity. I think it's been bastardized. I think it means just, it's just a checkbox for most institutions and folks. They think if they have one Brown person in the room that they've hit the height of, of progressiveness and inclusion and inclusion is about shared power. So when I talk to organizations and institutions and people that hire me, I really only focus on equity, inclusion, and justice. If we don't have justice as a core part of this work, then we are probably causing more harm than good.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how do you see equity and inclusion playing a role in helping people address these large scale cooperation dilemmas that we have, like injustice around you know race or gender and uh environment climate yeah so we don't have any shared language
1: that we all understand so we think the goal is equality but equality comes from a place that we all so equality is like oh we start off all at the same place so we all have the same needs and we think that that's fair Mm -hmm. equity says we don't all have the same start And because of that, we don't all have the same needs. And I'm going to give Carmen what Carmen needs to get where we want Carmen to be. I'm going to give Desiree what Desiree needs to get Desiree where we want Desiree to be as a society, as humanity. Those are going to look incredibly different. Hmm. So this sense of fairness, and I say fairness with kind of a, uh, (laughs) is because there is no such thing We're not all the same. We don't all have the same needs. And so the solutions for each of us are not going to be the same. So let's stop talking about equality and let's talk about equity. And let's talk about inclusion, which is really about shared power. And let's talk about power hierarchies, hierarchies, right? And then let's talk about justice. Because once... The person you know when we're in a room, whoever is that most vulnerable in the community, if their needs are taken care of, then Carmen, your needs are taken care of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we 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 think that these concepts and um, this work is really about us just knowing one another and building communities. When that's not true, they're actually about how are we going to give up power. How are we gonna share power? Because it's not about, will I sit down and have a meal with you? Mm-hmm. It's about the systems that have segregated us, right? It's not that we don't live in the same neighborhood, it's about the institutions that have made sure that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, that it, and that it's difficult to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. I would imagine that your work you're working on changing systems or working at the human scale to, to help that to happen. But I have to imagine that you spend a tremendous amount of time at the threshold, at people's thresholds of comfort, at the threshold of their knowledge, at the threshold of their identities. All the things. Can you flesh this out a little bit for me?
1: How oh, all do you the do things. this every day? <laughs> all the things. So I use a framework that I, I've gotten from, there are a couple of frameworks. That I love frameworks. There's a couple of frameworks I use. And one is by Barbara Love and it's called the Liberatory Consciousness. And I, I've taken that framework and I've built some work around do you build liberatory relationships but liberatory consciousness has four four parts to it the first part is awareness that's when we're at the threshold we have um something that doesn't you're like no this is not what i was taught right we have that moment where what is happening and who am i and how will i respond and so we have to do our own work our own awareness about our privilege and our identities and what that means to navigate the world with them and how do we show up in what ways, what's dominant, what's not. And then from there comes analysis. And that's the deeper analysis, the deeper understanding of the systemic issues, not the Carmen. Carmen's nice. Carmen said something to me that was kind of not so nice, but, you know, that was just Carmen, you know, microaggressing me. Okay, but let's look at that broader view around why, what, 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 what was missing in that education that Carmen got? What was missing and why Carmen didn't understand what was happening? So there's this internal work that we do constantly and then there's the external work that has to happen. And we can't do them separately because we know people who only do the internal work stay frozen and not, never actually do anything. And people that only do the external work Really, do this work from a place of anger and pain and trauma, which keeps us where we are in pain and anger and trauma. And so, we have got to come at it with a deeper analysis, awareness analysis, and then the next step is actually action. And with a deeper ana- a- analysis, I know the next right action or the next action that will probably do the least amount of harm. But we usually make decisions from awareness and not from analysis. We make it from this place of feeling like, oh my God, I love Desiree. So I just want to help Desiree and I'm just going to do whatever it takes. So I want Desiree to know that I really love her. It's not what Desiree needs. Desiree needs housing and Desiree needs work. Desiree, these things that we need an analysis to help Desiree get what Desiree needs. So our actions need to be from analysis. And then after analysis is accountability. Who's gonna hold us accountable for, the, for what we did, for the choices we've made? Who's gonna say, you know what Desiree, that was so not what was needed in this community at this time. And how are we going to make reparations or how are we going to apologize or you got it right? And we really appreciate that. I mean, so that's the framework, that inner work, that awareness. A lot of us like to stop there. We like to read the things and talk about the things, but not do the work. Uh, The work comes from the analysis and the action.
0: Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that it uh, arrives at the communal scale. The collective, the community. The collective
1: is actually, yes, definitely. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, why are you personally drawn to participate in attending the, the Threshold event? Because I think we don't have enough
1: conversations about this. I know some people are like, oh, God, I talk about it all the time. But we don't talk about it in, I think, deep ways. I think we still very much talk about issues of race and gender and class. Um, at, on a very um, one-on-one level, and I'm like, no. If we're talking solutions, then we need to dig deeper, and we need to have these. Com- we need to have conversations that challenge us, that make us uncomfortable, that push us to learn more, to read more. You know, I teach a class, a year-long course called Freedom School, and one of the reasons I I love it is because for me it's all the things that we never learned in in school this is us going out and getting our own education around these issues
0: mm-hmm. around this learning where do people find out more about freedom school
1: oh uh my website dot you can find out about freedom school but yeah it is it is you know digging into these into these intersections right like how does whiteness affect immigration? How does whiteness affect what we think about as democracy? How does whiteness really look at um, what who, who we determine as being a citizen and what we determine as being truly American, right? All of these have intersections that I don't think we look at enough to really understand just how deep um, oppression goes within, within our communities and across the globe, right? Like how deep anti-blackness is globally mm-hmm. and what that does. How much white people, we never talk about how much white people lose by never being around people other than white folks. We always talk about what other people lose, but we never talk about, you know what, what have y'all lost by being... Isolated and segregated and alone. Mm
0: Hmm. I was about to say I feel strangely thrilled to go and spend time, but then I I can edit out the strangely because (laughs) I think you just spoke my mind. You just articulated what it is. It's like there's something very compelling about uh, standing at the threshold and recognizing there's there's things that I've lost because I've been raised white, and that maybe there's an opportunity to bury some things that need to yeah. be buried <laughs> and and then just see what happens we don't like i don't know how to vision beyond that you're talking about things that i i i can't even imagine well I'm i don't know so I, have, I, have,
1: I have my freedom school this month that was their homework to go and imagine reimagine whiteness mm-hmm. we know about it in its in its current format you know the colonizer the settler the the Imagine what, what it would have been like if if this tool of whiteness was not built for genocide and exploitation, if it was used to be collaborative and communal. Mm-hmm. What how would our systems look differently? hmm How would our hospitals be run differently? How would how would we get access to capital differently?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah just even what would my world look like what would, yeah what you know i i, I can't
1: wait it's super hard to imagine because we've never lived one day without white supremacy yeah. we've never lived one day without the patriarchy so we're yeah. like wait what I, <laughs> I can but that's what these that's what oppression systems don't do for us they mm-hmm. take away our imagination
0: mm-hmm and I guess we'll see. We're, we're going to have a pretty diverse group, I think, or, you know, like it, at face value, it would appear to be three countries, you know, many different um, ways of expressing gender, many different parts of even the U.S., even though most of the uh, facilitators are coming from there. So I, I, I'm really excited just to see what happens when we sort of hang out. <laughs> the threshold and, st- and, and ask excited, these questions
1: I'm excited too like how can we challenge dominant ideology
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's going to be an interesting soup <laughs> very flavorsome <laughs> Thank I you so love much. it that's <laughs>
1: yeah. my favorite place to be an interesting <laughs> soup
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for spending time with me today Desiree we'll see you in Ashland see you in Ashland To find out more about Tending the Threshold and to purchase live or live stream tickets, go to TendingTheThreshold.com. And please don't let money be a barrier. Organizers have a solidarity fund that sponsors people with marginalized identities and less financial privilege. If you have need and would like to attend, reach out to TendingTheThreshold at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us.